Military-aged male invaders from around the world are filing into our country, and I'm sure they're all just here for the American dream and not to kill us. Joe said so. Well, I'm Tommy Laren. Joe is full of it, and the show starts now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Well, wouldn't you just take a look at that? More of Joe's dreamers trickling into our country across, across what used to be our border. If that scene looks heavy on the adult males and light on the fragile women and children seeking asylum, well, congratulations, you passed the eye exam. You'll notice they are all nicely dressed and appear to have luggage one might buy from an Instagram influencer on Black Friday. They certainly don't appear to be downtrodden refugees desperate for food, water, and shelter, though they will get all three courtesy of your hard-earned tax dollars. This is quite clearly a coordinated effort to invade our nation. It's a well-funded effort. I don't care what Wizard Joe and Kamala try to convince you of. You don't just stroll across the border from China, folks. And while tens of thousands of illegals from all corners of the globe streaming in might sound like a giant national security red flag to normal folks with a brain, well, wait till you hear what the Democrats have in mind. Her bill, and I hope I describe it accurately, says that if you're an undocumented person in this country and you can pass the physical and the required test, background test, the like, you can serve in our military. And if you do it honorably, we will make you citizens of the United States. Only a Democrat would think that tens of thousands, scratch that, millions of military-aged men coming into our country illegally, as in with zero respect for our country laws and constitution, could and should be repurposed into American soldiers. Important to note that not only is Senator Dick an advocate for illegal immigration, he also stonewalled the release of the Epstein flight logs. Yeah, that tracks. But speaking of pedophiles. My next guest recently went undercover with the organization Predator Poachers to get an inside look into what he calls demon hunting. Investigative journalist Shane Cashman joins me now. Shane, thank you for taking the time to discuss this with me. Such an important topic. You know, a lot of people hear about trafficking, they hear about pedophilia, they hear about predators, but they don't know that these people are lurking right in plain sight. And some of them aren't even trying to really hide themselves anymore. Some of them are actually shameless. But you have to tell my audience what your experience was, what it was like to be around these people, and what you took away from that experience. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me to talk about this story. Uh, I was in Ohio for a weekend with Alex Rosen of Predator Poachers. They travel the country capturing uh, these child predators and really, really bad men. I, my story is about widespread depravity. And like you say, it happens. These people operate casually in the daylight every day. Uh, I saw a man waiting to meet a, a young girl who he thought was 12 years old. And he waited in the daylight outside of his house for her to walk up. And Alex uses a decoy, who's a 25-year-old woman who uh, dresses in a Minecraft backpack and wears a face mask to hide, you know, her age. And these men, you know, their evil urges drive them 
to do anything, almost like it puts blinders on them. So we were meeting them at gas stations, um, uh, apartment complexes, and it was it was terrifying. I, I think a lot of us know how much evil's out there, but I, I, what I took away was just that it does operate uh, in the daylight, and it unfortunately happens all the time. In your experience and seeing you know a number of these people, is there a caricature or a look or a position in life that a lot of these predators are in? Or could it really just be anyone and everyone? What, what was your experience and, and what would you look for? Or is there really no stereotype at all as you saw it? Yeah, I wish we could say there's a stereotype, but there's not. We saw the first guy we, we uh, captured, he, well, you could say he was your quintessential creep. If you saw him on the street, you probably know to inherently avoid him. Uh, but we also caught, you know, a guy who was 23 years old, who's a fireman and a firearms instructor. Uh, and if you look at Alex's page where they, they film a lot of these uh, confrontations, it's all types of men, poor men, rich men, uh, guys with, with nice jobs, guys with authority, uh, parents, men who've won custody of their children who also uh, molest their children. And it's, uh, it's terrifying just how it could be anybody, unfortunately. I want to go back to the process of this because, you know, you spent a weekend observing this, but these predator poachers, you know, they do this routinely and they're, they're kind of, I wouldn't call them vigilantes, but they're operating outside of law enforcement really as just concerned citizens that are trying to bring these people down and then turn them over to law enforcement. But tell me about the process that they go through to lure in these individuals. And then once they've lured them in, you mentioned the decoy, but how does this go down for folks that haven't read your analysis and your story on it? Yeah. So they'll pretty much, I experienced two different ways. Uh, both ways start with a, a fake page on Facebook or Instagram, and they've infiltrated these pages where they, uh, they're, they're, and they're all over the place, where it's men looking, or women sometimes, looking to trade in this explicit material of children. So they're, they have code words and they use certain pictures and they'll infiltrate them sometimes as someone looking for something or as a young girl. Uh, the ones I experienced, the first two, it was a young girl or 25 year old posing as a young girl on Facebook messaging these men who belong to these groups. And then the decoy goes into public to meet them. The second the man approaches uh, what they believe to be the young girl, Alex and his team step in, confront them, and they uh, wait for an admission of the person to have the explicit material in their possession. Because in Ohio, they have to have it in their possession on their phone or in their computer to be arrested. It's not like that in every state, but that's how it is in Ohio. Uh, the second day I was with them, we had confronted someone who already admitted to having it. So we went right to their house without a decoy, knocked on the door, and that was the firearms instructor. So it was a little crazy to show up like that, but that's what Alex does. He's, uh, he's a pretty brave guy uh, and does this. So the cops came rather quickly that day. So the possession of the child porn on their devices, you know, that's necessary. But and, and I know it, I'm sure it varies from state to state. But in your experience here, to me, just an adult man going to meet up with what he thinks is a 12 year old girl, even if he doesn't have any child porn on his devices, that in of itself seems like it should be a crime. And in maybe some places it is. But you're telling me in Ohio, in your experience, they had to have child porn in order for it to be an offense that was able to be turned over to law enforcement. That was really hard to stomach uh, because the first guy we, we confronted was able to walk away from us without us calling the police because we couldn't get an admission of him having child porn. Uh, meanwhile, we had just spent two hours 
reading off all the horrible messages he sent to someone he believed was 12 years old. And he tries to lie and has all these loopholes in logic to get out of it. But over time, he, he admits to things that he wanted to do alone in this girl's house. He was expecting to walk to her house where the parents were gone and do these terrible things. And since, uh, you know, as a civilian, we couldn't uh, confiscate and look at stuff and, you know, break into the house. Uh, although I would have liked to, uh, he could just walk away. So the other, the other gentlemen, if you want to call them that, I call them demons in the story. They, they admitted to it. And it's, that was the other scary part is that it was so casual them talking about it. And these guys are like, yeah, we have such and such on the computer. And once uh, Alex and his team knows that, then the police can be called and uh, we see them get handcuffed, which was pretty incredible. How do you get somebody to admit to something like that if you're not, in fact, serving a warrant, if you're not a law enforcement officer? I'm sure some people, they blurt it out or they're, they're in, a, in a position of feeling sh- ashamed or embarrassed or, or maybe quite the opposite. But how do you get someone to say, yeah, I've got, you know, kitty porn on my computer? Yep. Tell me what that interaction is like to get to that point. Yeah. So Alex has been doing this for four years and he's got this method down, which is kind of hard to watch, to be honest, but he kind of plays good cop where he makes it feel like they can be helped, which neither of us believe they can be helped. I don't think there's any redemption in these in these demons, but he makes it sound like we can we can get you help. You know, it's, we want to get the worst guys above you or, uh, you know, he, he puts the blame on their evil urges on something like the Internet. So it's like by putting the blame on a third party, it almost gets them to open up over an hour. They don't immediately come out with it, but after reading their messages to them, they can't like walk out of it. And Alex tells them, you can walk away. I'm just a civilian. But what I experienced is they kind of get like paralyzed with their fighter. There's no more flight or fight. They just kind of sit there and talk. So yeah, after an hour or two, depending on which, which person, they just kind of start talking about it and uh, rather flippantly. And it's almost like sometimes they'll say, I know I shouldn't do it, but it's almost like they... No, we want to hear that, but they don't really believe it. You mentioned that you don't feel like these people are redeemable, that this is is a, is a, a demonic force within them, and, you know, as you describe it. But I'm wondering, with the numbers that we see uh, with pedophiles, with predators like this, it feels like there's got to be something beneath this. I don't think that people are born evil, so I don't know what gives someone an urge like that, but from speaking to these people and being around them, even for the limited time that you were, do you feel like these people are struggling with mental health issues? Maybe they come from an abusive situation. Maybe they're incredibly socially awkward. Maybe they're on some kind of medication. Did, Did you sense any of that, or do you think these people are just outright sickos who are irredeemable and were like this maybe from birth? Well, whatever it is, I think they're irredeemable at this point, you know, whether it's them just interacting with the children or they believe are children or or trading child porn, irredeemable. There's no coming back from that. They'll they'll try to blame various things like a few of the guys. They'll blame physical ailments. Uh, One guy actually defecated himself in front of us while we're uh, doing the interrogation. And when I saw that happen, I was kind of thinking about uh possession. I couldn't think of anything else. It's like just pure evil. And it was almost like there was a, a, a demon inside of him separating from the, whatever human part is left of him, you know, but I've seen, if you watch Alex's videos, there's guys who will blame strokes on these evil urges, but then an hour into those interviews, you'll find out that their urges they had predate the stroke. Uh, they'll, they'll you hear talk about people talk about head injuries could start this, but I don't know what it is. I like to think people aren't born evil, but these these guys, they all have different types of backgrounds and they all just have these similar evil urges. Yeah, I've never heard of a stroke causing late onset <laughs> pedophilia. That would be never. 
That would be a new one. Uh, it's interesting. Yes. It's also part of kind of, I, I would also call it a mental illness, though I don't think it's stroke-induced, but I think pedophilia in some way is a mental illness. I don't know if it's something you can recover from. I would assume probably not, but it, it just yeah. seems like there's not, not everything is working right upstairs if you look to prey on, on young girls or even young boys. We know that this has been a huge problem in society, and now it's really coming to the forefront now that we have social media. And speaking of social media, you said that they find these people through Facebook groups and other chat groups. It's astonishing to me the links that big tech will go to censor people on COVID, to censor people on Hunter Biden's laptop. But there doesn't seem to be the same appetite by these wardens of big tech to go after child porn and pedophiles who are using their platforms to communicate with what they think and oftentimes are young girls and young boys. What do you make of that? Uh, it's completely wicked and upside down. Yeah, I've experienced the censorship when it comes to politics or COVID. Uh, but these men, you look at some of these groups, you look at the decoy page, for instance, uh, where they think they're talking to a young girl and uh, they're brazenly commenting on selfies of someone they think is 12. And I'm like, how do you even get away with this? Uh, I, I just don't get it. I can't wrap my head around it. And, you know, I just these platforms are completely hypocritical. They don't care about uh protecting innocent children, which is should be our one thing we care about. It's something you think we could all agree on is the innocence of children. Uh, but people on the left have a, dis a, a disagreement on how you protect children. But the other thing I took away from it is, you know, this is a it should be bipartisan. But there were men we caught who you might call people who lean right. And there's men we caught who you might think lean left. It's a completely it's beyond politics and something that we should all rally around, especially when it comes to the vulnerability of children on the Internet. Yeah. What would your message be for parents out there, parents of young children, parents of teenagers who are probably already on social media? What would you tell them about what you've experienced and what they should perhaps look out for with their own family? Yeah, we need to be hyper aware and hyper vigilant of what our kids are doing online because they're extremely vulnerable. You can't let the Internet step in as a surrogate parent where, you know, it's easy to to set your kid up with Roblox or Minecraft or Facebook or Instagram, whatever, you have to be extremely hyper aware of who they're talking to because these men are out there and they're easily, and your children, unfortunately, are accessible to them through all these platforms. You know, we've seen Roblox get in trouble, Omegle, Facebook, Instagram, they've all had these issues. Um, so you got to remain extremely, extremely vigilant. And uh, I think there's a, a healthy dose of paranoia people should have because, you know, this is an ancient evil urge. It's nothing new. It's not because the internet is now we have this problem. It's just the internet does accelerate it. And we need to be aware of that and, uh, and just make sure we're uh, keeping our children really safe on the internet. Do you think that parents should put, you know, an age restriction on giving their children access to cell phones and social media? I don't believe that the government should mandate that. I think it's got to be in the hands of parents. But do you think that parents should maybe wait until their, their kid is 13 or 14, maybe 15, 16, before they allow them to have access to these platforms? Or do you think that they're going to you know, get access to them one way or another just because of how accessible the Internet is? I think you got to restrict their use. Uh, you know, my kids aren't going to be using it. Um, for sure. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a good reason to have a cell phone when their kids are a certain age, uh, to keep in touch when they're not at home so much, but I have a seven and a three-year-old and we don't even have a TV. We're kind of wild like that, but you know, we're pretty strict with what they see and what they use and, uh, the people 
who we hang out with, you know, in our neighborhood and what other kids are being exposed to who, you know, might have different beliefs in their homes. And, you know, there's kids I know who are very young, like my kids age, and they are on the internet at all times. And I'm not saying to restrict it just because of what we're talking about today with the stuff going on with these predators, but just in terms of like social interactions, you know, I was a professor for a very long time and I saw kids show up to school and they had no more uh, social skills because everything they developed socially, you know, was, was online where everything's been kind of flattened and it's hard for them to read out loud or speak to someone one-on-one. So there's a lot of reasons why I think that the kids should not be on phones at such a young age. Right. I, I never want to go into the area of, you know, victim blaming, but when you look mm. at, at young people, particularly young girls, as we stand in 2023, I certainly didn't look like that at age 10, 11, 12 these girls that you, that you see that have access to social media, they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, they're doing dances, they're posting, you know, photos of themselves and their outfits. Do you think that as a society, we've caused young girls to grow up too quickly, especially with social media as a catalyst and accelerator for that? And if so, do you think that parents bear more responsibility with especially their young girls in the way that they dress and the way that they act in person and online? Do you think that there needs to be any shift in the way culture addresses that? Oh, yeah. And it's not going to come from the government. It's not going to come from the top down. This is like a moral issue that needs that parents need to focus on uh, at home because uh, everything's turned into pornography. You know, commercials on TV, the, the news in the morning, it's violent and it's pornography uh, and it's and it's widespread. Uh, so, yeah. Whether or not the parents are even promoting it, it almost doesn't matter. It's like everywhere you turn, it's on billboards, TV, movies, and you need to instill real values at home and and, the, and how important yourself is, and hopefully, you know, raise your children strong enough to navigate this pretty depraved world. And my last question, just because I think this is a really interesting conversation to be had. I'm a millennial. I'm 31 years old. I don't have any kids yet, but I would say that my friends who are also millennials. The way that they parent is also a lot different than the way my parents parented me. My parents were not on social media. They didn't spend a lot of time on their cell phones. Do you think that some of this that we're experiencing right now with culture also has to do with parents and their own obsession with social media? I don't know how many times I've seen people my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older with kids, their kids are sitting in front of an iPad, the mom and dad sitting in front of their cell phones. It just feels like a lot of this has devolved into people just being completely obsessed with their devices. And I wonder if you think that's a generational thing when it comes to parents. I think so. It's, uh, you know, and I'm not immune to it either. I'm on my phone a lot, you know, for what we do and the work we're, we're into, you're kind of on your phone, keeping up with the news. And, but my wife and I try to be, uh, aware of that. And we don't want our kids to think that our phones or our work are more important than them. Right. Um, the, the internet has definitely become a place where people our age, I'm 38. So we're like, I'm a, a millennial as well. I, I think I'm on the cusp of it where, our digital identities mean more to these people than our physical identities. And COVID is something that accelerated that with lockdowns. And I got a lot of friends who their whole existence is online, who I got friends who I wouldn't call them friends anymore. I have people I once knew who didn't leave their house for six months because of COVID. Um, and so they're, and they, and their parents and their kids saw that. And so the whole concept of what's online has way more meaning than real, the real world, which is really damning and really terrifying for the future. And then on top of that, you know, I was home for Thanksgiving recently. I'm in New York and uh, I I talked to a lot of friends who are teachers 
in, in middle school, uh, high school and colleges. And they're like, our, the kids we're teaching are like two or three years behind where they should be. And they're blaming lockdowns for that. So there's a whole soup of problems going on right now where it's the parenting and the way we're, we're obsessed with nostalgia and being these like adult children on the internet and, and our social media platforms that are more important. And then it's like the school system's completely failing the kids. And uh, all of that is something that really needs to be addressed, uh, but it's going to have to happen at home. You know, you can't count on anyone to step in and save you. You're right. Parents need to parent again, and that would solve a lot of our problems in society. Where can my audience go to read your in-depth article about your experience with the predator poachers, the demon hunters, as you call them? Where can they go to get that full story? Yeah, so it's at scanner.com. That's scnr.com. It's called The Demon Hunters. Um, and yeah, it's up there. You can also find it. It's uh, pinned on my Twitter page at Shane Cashman. It's a wonderful story. Thank you for, for doing that, for exposing that. For I'm sure it was you know a difficult experience for you to endure, to, to document it. But thank you for doing it. It's, it's a fantastic story. And thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Of course. All right, folks, the OutKick store is officially live just in time for the holiday season. So gift a hat or even a T-shirt for those fearless patriots in your life. For a limited time, you will receive buy one, get one 50% off at checkout. All you have to do is visit shop.outkick.com. All right, turns out leftist school presidents from the world's top universities suddenly don't know what hate speech and harassment are. It's time for Final Thoughts. The left has a major anti-Semitism problem, and I'm not sure they really give a damn to fix it. Or at least that is certainly how it appears, given, well, the last two months of mental gymnastics they have performed to get out of condemning Hamas or showing any support for Jewish people. First, it was a refusal to believe that Hamas, who celebrated and broadcasted their heinous acts, did indeed commit heinous acts such as raping women, burning, and beheading babies. Then you had Rashida Tlaib, who not only refused to comment on the torture of Jews, but also tried to convince us the chant from the river to the sea was aspirational. UN Women, an institution that by their own mission statement seeks to champion the rights of women and girls, took nearly two months to condemn Hamas's brutal and savage use of rape and sexual violence. This came after the group deleted their initial post on the matter late last month. Oh, and let's not forget the loudmouth, know-nothing Hollywood liberals like Susan Sarandon, Gigi Hadid, and others who said and posted despicable anti-Israel sentiments. The left is covered and crawling in Jew hatred, and that includes the institutions of higher learning they oversee. After nearly two months of anti-Jewish and anti-Israel protests on college campuses, the presidents of three of the worst offenders were forced to sit before Congress this week and answer for their complicity. In case you were wondering, it did not go well. At MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? 
If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Hard to watch. These three presidents of three of the top universities in the entire world refused, flat out refused to say if calling for the genocide of Jews violated their institution's code of conduct. All three instead noted that calling for genocide needed context or actual conduct to violate their abhorrently low standards. Institutions that have spent the last decade barring or stifling conservative speakers from their campuses due to hate speech suddenly cannot even define what hate speech is. Or, more honestly, perhaps they just don't care because it's targeted at a group they don't care to protect, Jews. Imagine if mobs of students called for the genocide of the LGBTQ community. Something tells me that would not be allowed. But isn't it appalling that students and parents are hemorrhaging tens of thousands of dollars to universities that are actively indoctrinating their staff and students to hate Jews and actively paying university educators, administrators, and presidents fat salaries to sit back and watch as Jewish students are harassed and intimidated? So again, I ask, if you are Jewish and you are still planning to vote Democrat, hell, if you are a decent human being and you are still planning to vote Democrat, please tell me why. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.